Typically, political action takes shape only when the general populace is rallied and motivated to take a stand. When it comes to building awareness for issues of environmental protection, it's especially difficult because those regions most in need of protecting are usually far away from the public eye. That's why an organization called the International League of Conservation Photographers goes out into some of the most remote habitats in the world to document the current conditions of delicate ecosystems at risk of destruction. I've been working in the Sacred Headwaters region since about 2009 now. And really briefly, the Sacred Headwaters is where three salmon-bearing rivers all begin in one region in northern British Columbia. So that's the Stikine, the Skeena, and the Nass. It's also home to one of the largest predator-prey ecosystems in North America, and it's a traditional territory of the Taltan First Nation. Paul Colangelo is one of several members of the ILCP working to protect the sacred headwaters of British Columbia. This region is among the largest temperate rainforests in North America, but over the past few years it's been flooded with proposed resource extraction projects. The biggest of which is Shell Oil's million acre coal bed methane tenure run in the heart of the headwaters. Others include an open pit gold and copper mine and a mountaintop removal coal mine. But the pushback among the local population has been fierce. Approximately 1,500 members of the indigenous Toltan Nation have raised a lot of public awareness through blockades and sit-ins. They were actually able to stop Shell, the second largest corporation in the world. Well, somewhat stopped them. They achieved a four-year moratorium, but this will be lifted in December 2012. And so we've been working in the area, and that's when the ILCP got involved too, and produced a rave. A rave is a rapid assessment visual expedition. A team of world-class photographers like Colangelo, along with videographers and journalists, go into an endangered region such as the Sacred Headwaters and work to tell its story. There it is, shining. to bring the sacred headwaters to people because it's so remote. Most people even living in British Columbia have never even heard about it. So we're pretty much just trying to raise awareness and this is kind of finished off into a book that's going to be um, toured around and we're hoping to get people's support for the protection of this area. Paul Colangelo's work along with eight other members of the ILCP culminated in a book by National Geographic explorer Wade Davis called Sacred Headwaters, Sacred Journey. I had a chance to talk to Colangelo back in 2011 during the Banff Mountain Film Festival in Alberta, Canada. There he shared the story behind his amazing photographs and the rave launched to protect this remote region at risk. I'm James Mills and you're listening to The Joy Trip Project. Tell me a little bit about what your role as a photographer does to help facilitate the preservation of these wild places. Well, number one would be 
bringing places to people where they can't see it. I mean, you can read about a spot, but you're more likely to have a, you know, a real connection and um, a reaction and wanting to say that if you actually see it. And then, I mean, after that, I mean, as you get to know and get, you know, really deep into these issues and you get to know a region, you can spot other potential problems and then make people aware of that even beyond photography. An example of that is on Tottigan Mountain, just this past December, the BC government permitted just about the entire plateau for mining, exploration mining. And this mountain happens to be home to the world's largest lambing herd of stone sheep. And so, I mean, in 2001, recognizing the value of this herd, the British Columbia government actually protected their winter habitat, which is the slope of the mountain, and then they turned around and then permitted the actual plateau for mining. So it's things like these, and then when you hear about it, beyond photography, you have to get it out there. And working in the area as a photographer, you're just, you know, some of the first people to hear about these issues. So there is there's a, definitely a role beyond just taking photos of it. So can you give me an idea as to what the rave process is when you decide to put together a rapid assessment visual expedition? How do you, how do you stage that? How do, how do you make it happen to produce this body of work? Um, well, I mean, as I understand it, my role as a photographer is mainly in the field. But as I understand it from the planning process, once the ILCP has an issue that they've identified that they'd like to get involved with, they'll try to identify what the end product should be, what they want to accomplish through the rave, and then work backwards from that, figure out what they need, and then what they need to produce that. And so they'll start looking at specialties of photographers. So that could be aerial, underwater, camera traps, and then also where the photographers are from. They'll want people who are local, who know the region, but then also people from far away. Because, you know, if you have a group of, say, B.C. photographers shooting in B.C., that's one thing, but if you have a photographer coming in from Mexico, photographers coming in from the States, all of a sudden it's a lot more interesting and there's more opportunity for media buzz. And so that's I, I believe, plays a role in it as well. So if it wasn't for a rave, how would people ever find out about something like this? That's the thing. I mean, it would be really difficult. I mean, it was definitely in the, in the papers. People hear about it and then, you know, it definitely generates interest. But again, you're missing, you can't see what they're talking about. They just hear, it's a really pretty spot. There's three rivers, there's salmon, there's people. But then there's no connection. And so the ideal thing, if everyone could get there and see it, we wouldn't need the photos, and that would just be perfect. You know, photos would just be for the pamphlets and whatnot. But people can't get there, and so this is the only way, realistically, for people to actually see it. In all of these conservation issues, I think, you know, photography just plays a huge, huge role in connecting people to what the issue is. So in an installation like this, at some point I have to assume that your government, you know, governments around the world will start enacting legislation to either protect or to allocate licensings to extract in these areas. How important are these images in terms of directing public discourse to either support or deny claims of either preservation or for extraction. Yeah, well, I mean, there's two things there. It's when people see the images and hear about the issues, first thing they usually ask is, what can we do? And, I mean, it's the, the number one thing is, you know, speaking up and letting the government and the companies know how you feel about it. Because here where there's not many voters in the area, there's not many people to tell them that. So, I mean, that plays a huge role. And, I mean, it, it may seem insignificant, but 
signing a postcard, but I forget the exact numbers, but one of the environmental organizations collected so many cards, they were able to ship, say, 30 a day for nine months or something like that. And so that has a real impact. Otherwise, you know, they're not going to hear from anybody. And so it, it might seem frustrating, it might seem insignificant, but it makes a huge change. But then also, I mean, you're talking about if you can actually reach the decision makers with the image. I mean, that's a whole other thing. Like, you know, they say the images themselves aren't going to change the world, but they might inspire someone who can. And so, you know, if you can get these up in government buildings or anything like that, and it's just, there's that potential too. And I mean, that, you know, it doesn't happen as often, but the potential's there and it's really important. So at the end of the day, is there anything in particular that you want people to know about this project and your work with it to create these images? That, yeah, I mean, it's not just a, an environmental issue. It's an issue of respect. There's people here who have already had a, an incredibly difficult time with their culture. I mean, with the, the First Nations history in Canada. And, you know, they're, they're trying to preserve it. And this is an, such an important part of their culture. It's their backyard, you know, they describe it as being their kitchen. And so it's not just rivers and, and animals, but it's like someone coming in and saying, you know, you taking a piece of your culture away that's important, your church, your school, whatever. And so it's, it's human rights too. And because there is such a small number of them, we need to help just by speaking up against it. You can learn more about the International League of Conservation Photographers' efforts to protect the rainforests of British Columbia online. Visit sacredheadwaters.com. There you can see a few of Paul Colangelo's incredible photographs or purchase a copy of the book. For the Joy Trip Project, this is James Mills. Music this week by Chad Ferran. The Joy Trip Project is made possible with the support of sponsors Patagonia, Rayovac, and the New Belgium Brewing Company. And special thanks to the Walton Works, who helped to underwrite travel expenses to Banff so I can bring back this and other great stories. Visit thewaltonworks.com. Thanks for listening. But, you know, I want to hear from you. So please, drop me a note with your questions, comments, and criticisms to info at joytripproject.com. Until next time, take care.